Jody and Vanessa lead an absolutely outstanding church in East LA. We've been friends with this couple and friends with the church and partnering with the church for, for many years now. And um, we, we work together uh, uh, through a relationship we have with an Ephesians 4 apostolic team called New Covenant Ministries International. And Jody and Vanessa serve on that team. And um, we've invited them this weekend to Friday night. We spend some time with married couples. Jody and Vanessa shared powerfully and vulnerably ministering to, to, to married couples. How many of you were there and were blessed and ministered to? Great. And then yesterday morning, I, 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 I don't say this often, but if you were not able to make yesterday morning, I want to strongly urge, as much as I can urge without putting a law around it. So I urge you under the fullness of grace. I encourage you under the fullness of grace to find the message online. It'll be posted on Tuesday and to listen to that message. It was liberating and freeing as well as stirring and challenging and reminding us of this incredible truth that we have, which is the good news of the gospel. And I want to encourage you to listen to that. And so Jody and Vanessa are going to be ministering this morning. And uh, Vanessa, I would love for you to introduce us to your husband and uh, (laughs) tell tell us just a little about him. Can you do that? Great. And then I'll pray after that. So this guy, so handsome. Um, This guy has actually come from a very, very dark and hard background, but the Lord has brought him out of that and has restored him and has used him as a mouthpiece into um, our city and and this, this nation. And so I'm very, very happy and proud of this man. And um, yeah, he's going to do an awesome job. This is uh, my husband, Jody Romero. Mm. <laughs> so Lord, I want to thank you for this beautiful man that you created. God, I pray that you use him mightily today, that you touch the hearts um, and the minds of your people. Father, we honor you and love you, and we just want to say that we uh, cherish you, Lord, and you can do whatever you want. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Awesome. So let me tell you about the woman that the Lord gave me. She is a, a powerhouse. Um, she challenges me in many ways, more than she knows. And uh, I wouldn't be able to do anything that I do in God without her. And so she is uh, definitely the love of my life and my best friend. And we are getting closer and closer Every day, um, so it's it's a privilege to partner with her as I as I minister anywhere and as she ministers, she's actually um, gets calls to minister as well. So she'll be out at six one four next week um, in two weeks, two weeks uh, doing a women's conference with them, and I think preaching at at uh, their church with Dave and uh, Kathy, which is going to be cool. Um, so yeah, they didn't want me; they wanted Vanessa. So that's great. <laughs> It's a, it's a privilege to be back here uh, in Chicago. I absolutely love this city. Um, it is, I call it my second favorite city on the planet. Uh, obviously, you can uh, come to the assumption of what my number one favorite city is. Uh, has a city that uh, has um, two amazing sports franchises, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the LA Kings. Um, what are you, come on, bro. No, I, 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 am, I am completely loyal to the soil. That's what I call it. Uh, I, I, I fall in love with the places that God called me. Everywhere I go, I fall in love with. I, I, we, we get to travel um, by the grace of God. 
I don't know how we get to travel, but we do. Um, and I get to see parts of the world that I, I'm, whenever we step foot in a place, I'm like, can I live here? You know, I'm really, I always feel that way. Um, so we've gone to places that we're like, yeah, we can live here. And gone to other places we're like, no, nah, no, we like it. But, uh, but Chicago is absolutely a place that, that, that I could live. Um, but uh, I think more than that, I fall in love with people. I fall in love with the people that God calls me to minister with, and uh, I, I love this church. I love the people in this church, uh, every, everyone that I have a, a, a good connection with in this church who have become friends of mine, uh, like Annie Ken and, and, and James and Jess and obviously Stephen Debs and all, all, I mean, just the, 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 the friendships that we develop are priceless to me, and so it's a privilege to be here. Uh, how many of you know that we can't do this on our own? And the Lord has called us to do something together. He's called us to be a people. He hasn't called us to be a group of individuals. He hasn't called us to be um, isolated on our own, doing our own thing, being uh, rock stars, you know, isolated. He, he's really called us to do this thing together. And we can't do this alone. And uh, we are in partnership with God and what he's doing, but we are also in partnership together. And, and I know that you believe that because that's why you're here. Um, and I, I, my, my hope at the end of today and what I leave with encouragement is that uh, we all know that God has called us to something great together. Uh, I just was getting this prophetic picture um, of this place, Church in the City, uh, and I really believe that, that, that this atmosphere that we were praying for is, is all, always with us, and, and I get it. I, I, I get the privilege to lead worship sometimes at, at our church um, and, and I know what it feels like to be holding a guitar and strumming and just praying for the presence of God to fall and, and praying for, you know, his glory to be poured upon us again. But the truth of the matter is, and I think we know this theologically, is that it's already with us. And that when two or more are gathered, that God's presence is in our midst. And it, it is not just the spirit of the living God that lives inside of us, but it's his presence that falls on us. And it's, it, it's this kind of togetherness and gathering that allows people who walk through that door to come and draw from the well that is church in the city uh, meeting together when, as often as you do. Uh, and I think that that's, that's de- definitely the atmosphere we want. But uh, what I had the privilege of sharing yesterday, and I'm, I'm going to kind of elaborate. So if there's a part three, maybe, I guess it's a part three, uh, of yesterday, it would be today. So you're going to have to go play catch up if it, that gets available um, to you guys. That there, this well that is here that's available, not, not just to church in the city, but available to everyone else uh, in, this, in this city, in this region, um, to be able to come and draw from. But we, we know that that's not always an easy thing to get people through those, through those doors uh, to come and visit and see what God is doing in this place. Um, and so what God has actually done is given us tools and given us a commission actually to, to you, for you and I to actually fill our wineskins with this well and take that out into the places that he's called us to, to live in, the space that he's called us to occupy. Um, and that's the different people groups, that's the different social groups, that's the different families that, that you are in contact with. And what I, what I want to bring forth this morning is just that um, kind of notion is that God is actually calling each and every one of us to make a major impact in the world around us. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that Jesus is coming back soon? I, I, I believe, I believe we, we believe it 
ideology, well, you, you know the word, in your head, right? We, we believe it in our head. We sang about it today, and I'm telling you, like, my heart pumps when I sing those old hymns that were um, singing about the second coming of God, and, and the, the, the clouds are going to roll back like a scroll, and Jesus is going to open the heavens and ride down on a white stallion. He's going to come and pick up his precious bride. I mean, it, it, it just turns everything inside me. I get so excited about it. But I wonder how that actually affects my life. Right? We, we, we sing songs and worships, as we should, about, about, about adoring his presence and, and, and desiring his presence. And I, I sometimes think of what that would seem like or, or um, what that would actually look like to an outsider. Um, so for an outsider who would come in here and, and stand and sing the songs that we sing, that we get, um, you know, just kind of turned inside out about, I, I wonder how they would, you know, what are, they, what are they feeling about it? When you sing a song, Lord, we want your presence. We want your presence. I mean, do you ever just sit back and ask why? Why do I want your presence? Why do we want the presence of God? Why, why are we asking the presence of God to fall on us? Why are we desiring his presence as desperate as we are? Of course, there's healing and restoration and there's inner things that need to take that, that, get, that get touched and, and get settled when his presence comes. But we also see that there's another part of why his presence falls on his kids. And we see this in, in the Old Testament when we read in Isaiah is that the presence of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Why? to preach the gospel, and to set the captives free. And I think part of why we come together and say, Lord, let your presence come, let your presence fall. I want to be healed, and I want to be touched, and I want to experience you in this moment. But we actually have to know that we don't live in those moments because Jesus has already come, the Holy Spirit is already here and living inside of us, and now there has to be a response to his presence. To me, I, I think, unfortunately, what we see today is we all want the privilege of the presence of God, but we actually don't want the responsibility of his presence. You see, the privilege of the presence of God is that it's been given freely. It's a free gift. That's the privilege of our life, that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, gave the Holy Spirit to us as he goes back, went back to heaven, gave us a, a, a better gift, according to Jesus. And so now Holy Spirit is with us, and he's dwelling amongst us, living inside us, working through us. So there has to be a responsibility to that. And I think the responsibility to that in, in, in general, in a, in a simple term, is that that gift actually needs to be shared. Freely, we've been given freely. Surely we can freely share that gift, right? It's something we teach kids. Share what you have, right? We teach our kids to share. I mean, kids are so selfish, right? I mean, it's theirs, it's mine. I mean, that's one of the first words most kids learn is mine, mine. And, and, and unfortunately, I think sometimes as God's kids, we experience that as well. Mine, mine. My time is mine. My money is mine. Everything that I have, it's mine. And, and, and we, we get it. It's a gift from God. You know, the house we have, is, it, it was a gift from God. And the car we have and the money that we make, it, it's all a gift from God. 
But it's, it's called to be shared. Because it's not about ownership, it's about stewardship. And stewardship means that I, I actually am stewarding everything that God has given us, right? I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's my job to steward what's been given to me. And the greatest thing that has been given to you and I is the presence of God. How are we stewarding that? How, it's, it's not ownership. Yet when we sing songs because it's personal, Jesus is mine. But he's available to others, right? I keep tapping the wrong message, so give me a second. Okay. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, John chapter 6, verse 39. I'm going to pray real quick. um, And I'm going to try to do this as timely as possible because I really believe that the Lord wants to do something um, beyond me speaking some words today. So if you guys wouldn't mind just closing your eyes. Jesus, we, we stand and sit here before you this morning. And Lord, we truly want to have an encounter with your word. We want to have an encounter with your presence, with your spirit. But we just don't want to have that encounter. We truly want to respond with purity and with truth. Lord, I pray for authentic responses to be made today. Lord, not emotional ones. For those of us who are challenged, I pray that we, we face that challenge head on. For those of us who are encouraged, I pray that we grab that encouragement and we run with it. We love you, Lord. We honor you as we continue in uh, speaking about this amazing gift that you've given to us to share with the world. Amen. How many of you want to know the will of God for your life? Okay, the rest of you don't. That's cool. Um, so that's the biggest question most people, what's the will of God for my life? You know, I, I get into counseling sessions with people and uh, people, like, they, they just sit down. I just want to know the will of God for my life. And, and obviously, you know, that's a hard thing to just say. I mean, obviously, I would never be able to say, hey, well, the will of God for your life is. Um, you know, we, we're, we're able to give, you know, prophetic images and, and words of, of, of the things that God says uh, for people and to encourage them with it. That's what uh, prophecy is, words of edification, encouragement, and comfort, right? We bring those words to, you know, kind of, not kind of, to push people towards Jesus and the things that he's calling them to, right? Um, but prophetically, God has spoken so much through his word with his own voice, and we really got to grab a hold of the things that he has said and not look for alternative voices when he has already spoken on so many things. Are you with me? Uh, So John chapter 6 verse 39 um, says this, this is the will of him who sent me. So this is the will of God. This is Jesus speaking about the Father. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. And the New Living Translation for nothing would say, not even one. Right? But raise it up on the last day, speaking of his second coming, for this is the will of my Father. Say, this is the will of the Father. You hear me? That everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise up, raise him up on the, the last day. 
And so that's the will of the Father, that eternal life would come to all men. And that Jesus Christ would not lose one. That's the will of the Father. That's the ultimate heart of God, is that salvation will come to the entire world. Say the entire world. And so you and I, knowing that that's the perfect will of the Father, have to say, okay, so how do I adjust my life to be a part of that? So if you say, I want to know what the will of God is for my life, I think what we need to do is take this scripture and say, how does my life fit into that? If it's God's will that not one man should perish and that eternal life be given to every person on this earth, how does my life fit around that? You with me? It, Peter uh, gives us a, a, a little bit of, a, of insight of, of, of how we are able to do this a bit better as Christians. I, I think sometimes when it comes to the gospel and us spreading, spreading Jesus to the world around us, there are two major factors that hinder us, right? And the first one, I believe, is fear. Fear just absolutely cripples us from being able to speak Jesus to the world around us. Fear cripples us from being able to be Jesus to the world around us because we're afraid of what they're going to say. We're afraid of rejection. Uh, you know, man-pleasing sets into our hearts and we have a greater fear of man than we do of God, right? We, we, we're afraid to lose friends. We're afraid to lose family. We're afraid to be, you know, all, all those fear factors that come into our life. Fear plays a huge role in why we don't witness to the world around us. But I believe there's also something else that, that, that plays in a factor, and that's just, I mean, a simple word, it's laziness. Is we know what God has called us to do. And, and, and it just seems like in, in, our, in our lives, as we go through uh, you know, the mundane, mundane routine of what we're called to do, uh, or, or what, we're, what we're doing in our life, that we actually forget what we're called to do for Jesus out of pure laziness. We're just not prepared. We're not mentally there. We're not, we're not in tune with what the Spirit of God is saying inside of us. You know, we're, we're going about life doing what we're, you know, raising kids and making money and paying mortgages and paying off cars and all that kind of stuff. That, that it just, we just forget that God has us on a mission here on this earth. We are ambassadors for Christ which means we are actually walking around on sovereign land anywhere we step because we represent a different kingdom. And because I represent a different kingdom, I am actually carrying the authority of that kingdom with me wherever I step. And yet the kingdom, kingdoms around us are, are, are somehow silencing us and oppressing us from being able to represent Jesus in a pure way. First um, Peter 3.13 says this, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? So basically, who, like, who's going to really hurt you if you actually choose to be the light for Jesus in this world today? I mean, I believe that persecution is a true thing. And I believe that the church is going to begin to experience persecution again like we've never experienced it before in this nation. It's already happening in other nations. We're seeing Christians being martyred for Jesus on an ongoing basis around the world. We don't see it. You know, our, our martyrism is we get deleted on Facebook. You know, we say something about Jesus and someone argues with us and then we get deleted on Facebook and you know, we're 
offended and, and upset by that. that that's the, the extent of our, extent of our uh, persecution. But listen, who's there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, you're blessed. You're blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. So don't, be, don't fear their intimidation. Don't fear the pressure from the men around you, your family members, your coworkers. Don't fear the intimidation, right? Do not be troubled. Listen, verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Let that factor be the thing that you hold on to. Let that be the thing that, that, that just drives your entire being, that Jesus is Lord of my heart. And so what do I care if someone rejects me? What do I care if someone deletes me on Facebook? Like, what do I really care if they don't want to speak to, any more, to, to me any longer because I'm trying to get them into an eternity that they might not be aware of right now? So sanctify Lord in your hearts. And listen to this. Always be ready. Say always. Always. How often? Always. Always Always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Always be ready to give a defense or make an account for the hope that is in you. I wonder if you and I are actually living at that level yet. To always be ready. When someone looks at your life and says, hey, uh, you want to go grab breakfast on Sunday morning? And you're like, no, I got something to do. Always be ready to give an account. Right? So, oh, hey, you want to participate in this thing? And you're like, oh, no, it's not really my thing. Why not? Uh, It's just not my thing. Because I, I believe in Jesus and that's just not something that I do. You, you get what I'm saying? There's all these, 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 these things that you and I, opportunities that are, are, are available to us on an ongoing basis when we choose to allow Jesus to be Lord of our hearts. You with me? All right. So always be ready to give a, uh, an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Gentleness and reverence. So as we are out in the world today, that we are actually giving an account for the hope that is inside of us with gentleness and with reverence. I don't know about you, I live, I, I live in Los Angeles, and, and, and I know what Jesus has done for me, and I know the gospel that I responded to. And I know the gospel, I, I've, I've been privy to see the gospel given and people respond to that. And unfortunately, I don't think many people respond to the version of the gospel where there's picket signs and repent or go to hell mess signs up. You know, we have guys on the corners in LA just, you know, they picket events. You go to Hollywood Boulevard where there's, you know, a lot of craziness going on. Um, and there's just, you know, these, these versions of the gospel that actually do not sound like good news. How many of you know that hell is not good news? And how many of you know that it isn't our job to scare people into heaven? It's the good news. And the good news is that Jesus died for you. And if you can confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. And then an eternity in his presence, heaven, is now available to you. That's great news. 
And yet the, the gospel has been diminished to a, a picket sign that says repent or go to hell. And then there's, there's you know, versions of sin or sinners say these people go to hell, right? So why doesn't it say liars going to hell? Or why doesn't it say judgmental people are going to hell, right? I mean, it, 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 there's, there's, there's a purity to this thing that we have to understand that we're supposed to give this gospel with gentleness and reverence. And, and the way I, I, I see that in, in, in my own life is as I'm giving the gospel, reverence to me means I, I actually picture Jesus standing right next to me as I'm delivering that gospel. What kind of gospel would you deliver when Jesus, with Jesus in the room? What kind of truth would you tell with Jesus standing next to you? So, I mean, Vanessa introducing me, I'm sure that's so embarrassing for her, right? And then, you know, me obviously wanting to honor her, and, then I have, and that, that's like so embarrassing. You know, they're in the room, and you got to say something good. Can you imagine Jesus in the room saying, yeah, go ahead, tell them about me. <laughs> How are you going to give that message? Right? You're going to do it with gentleness and with reverence, because he's in the room. You're not going to give it in this way that it's tainted and, it, and it's slanted. And it, I mean, you're going to give it with, with, with man. Ah, you get what I'm saying, right? And listen to this. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So ultimately, if you, if you do this thing with purity of heart, keep a good conscience. Don't stress about it. I mean, I, I'm, I, in, in the worst of me, I'm just so insecure. I mean, I... I after I preach, I'll go and I'll just dissect everything I said wrong and, you know, whatever. But the same thing with encounters. You know, I, I'll encounter someone and, and try to uh, do something for Jesus, you know, with them. And then I walk away and I just blew it, you know, just like, oh, man, I should have said this. and I should have said that. And, man, I didn't do that right. And, man, I should, jeez. You know, but when we do these things with good conscience and we're doing this with reverence and gentleness. I mean, honestly, just don't stress. Allow God to complete the work. Some plant, some water, but it's God who brings the increase, right? It's not us, it's God. And so if you're doing it with pure intentions, trust me, God is going to honor um, the things that we do. And so we, we, we've, we're, we're partnering with God in this thing that he's called us to, right? Um, and we see these encounters in, in the early church. And um, you guys know Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So the disciples were gathered and they were waiting in obedience for the promised helper to come, right? So they're gathered and they're waiting. The Holy Spirit falls on them. Tongues of fire appear. Foreign tongues are spoken. Thunderous sounds draw thousands to observe what's happening. And then Peter takes this opportunity to preach the gospel. And if you, if you look at that message, he, he absolutely does not preach some watered-down, you know, version of the gospel. He preached a solid repent, a message of repentance. He, he preaches, I mean, basically, this Jesus that you crucified. Can you imagine that message being given to you? This Jesus that you crucified. This is Acts 2, 14 through 16, the message that he gives. And then as a result, as a result, 3,000 people get saved. That's amazing. I've never preached and 3,000 people get saved. It's never happened. Um, and then we see just a little bit later in Acts chapter 3, I'm just, I'm just bringing out some, some, some huge encounters that we see in Scripture. Um, then we see the lame beggar who is, who is sitting at um, the gate called Beautiful, right? And then Peter and John went to pray. 
If you grew up in Sunday school, you know this song, right? Peter and John went to pray. Yeah, you know that song. All right, cool. Um, so Acts chapter 3, and Peter and John went to pray. They encountered this lame man who was begging for money. He's sitting there and he's asking for money. And Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I will give you. Right? And under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he reaches down, grabs this guy by his hand, and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And so this man gets up and walk, and this guy is so excited about what God has done for him, he begins to walk and leap and praise God, and he begins to draw attention uh, to himself, and then people start to notice, whoa, what's, isn't that the guy who, who's been begging in front of, in front of the, the temple for years upon years? Isn't that him? And so this big crowd begins to come, and then Peter, once again, uh, seizes the opportunity to give the gospel Almost in the exact way that he gave it at Pentecost. He preaches a message of repentance. And these men are cut to the heart. And they see the, the power of God and what he's able to do. And we see that the number of saved after that was 5,000. 5,000. Two like really short preaches. I mean, are you guys really wishing that that would be me this morning? It's not going to be. Um, <laughs> So Peter and John get thrown in prison, right? They get thrown in prison for preaching the name of Jesus and, and, and the resurrection through Jesus. And then all these people get saved. And I think for, for us, like, we long for those huge encounters. How many of you long for those huge encounters? Like, I mean, I, I hope we do. I hope we want to see masses upon masses of people who are, are, are experiencing the gospel, are receiving it, are coming to repentance, and are put, being put in right relationship with God again. But I think so many times we're so focused on the big and we're so focused on these Pentecost moments that we forget about the once. That we forget about, about, about our neighbor. And we forget about our coworker, Right? And we forget about our brother and our sister and our aunt and our uncle. We're so focused on, on Pentecost. Pentecost has come and gone. You and I, we're not in Jerusalem the Holy Spirit is already with us. Those people have, have already had their encounter with God. But guess what? There's thousands upon thousands in Chicago that haven't. And there's thousands upon thousands in Los Angeles that haven't. And there's thousands in this nation that haven't and, and this beyond. And I, and I know that we get this. And I know that we understand this. But I think that there has to be some adjustments that are made in us as carriers of this living water that God has, has given us. There are adjustments that need to be made in order for us to position ourselves to be used at God's beckoning. To be used as the Spirit of the God, as a Spirit of the God, as the Spirit of God leads. In Acts chapter 10, we see this, uh, um, this cool thing happen just after, um, I mean, a few years after Pentecost. Acts chapter 10, you guys know this story between Peter and Cornelius. I'll start with verse 1. It says, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, what was called the, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So here's a really weird situation. This is a centurion soldier, right? A Roman soldier. He's probably Italian by... by um, nationality, right? But he's a converted Jew, right? Italian, 
Jew who's serving the Roman Empire as a centurion. And yet he's faithful. He's, he's attributed to being a faithful man who prays to God and gives alms to the poor. Right? So about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision, an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have been ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send a man or send for a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying there with a tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So now this angel of the Lord has sent or ask Cornelius to send a dispatch to bring Simon to speak to him. Now, this is a really weird situation. I don't know about you, but God is always orchestrating things in heaven. And I think sometimes we have no clue what's happening. Because if you look at this scenario, it's a Roman soldier dispatching soldiers to go and pick up Peter. Right? This is Simon Peter. Simon Peter, who we read earlier in Scripture, does not always have great encounters with Roman soldiers. <laughs> right? So it, 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 I shared this at the U.S. Equip, I think. Uh, with, I mean, it, it's like people from East L.A. You send sheriffs to come and pick me up to have a God encounter somewhere. It's not actually going to be really cool. I, I, I've been in the back of a sheriff squad car handcuffed as a pastor. This is, it's not a fun thing, right? And so God has ways of doing things that I think we actually have to be prepared to participate in, right? And so we see that God is not only orchestrating things on Cornelius' behalf. God had a plan to save a Roman Jew and his household for the sake of the gospel to begin to spread to a Jewish community. I mean, to a, a, a Gentile community, right? So, but God also had to work on Peter's heart, right? And so this is what happens here. The next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Notice that Peter is still in the pattern of going to pray, Right? Peter is still in a pattern of positioning himself to hear from God, to experience the presence of God, so that God can use him at his beckoning. Um, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. I want you to say trance. Okay, so all of you people who have issues with things of people falling in the spirit... Here it is, scripturally, people fall in trances. Just grab a hold of that one. You can wrestle with it later. And he saw the sky opened, and an object like a great sheet came down, lowered by four corners to the ground, and there were in all kinds of four there were all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth, and birds of the air. And a voice came down to him, and he said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, this seems like nothing to a Mexican because we eat everything. I mean, we eat 
um, lengua, we eat sesos, cabeza. I mean, this is every part of it. I mean, everything. We eat everything. And some of you who are part of different, you understand we eat everything. Tripe stew, if you don't know what menudo is, it's tripe stew. Right? That, we eat that. We love it and it's good. Um, so this would mean nothing to me. If the, a sheet came down and fell here and said, Jody, kill and eat, I'm like, I'm on it. It's not, it's not a big deal. But this is Peter, a follower of Jesus who is still struggling with his religious baggage. Right? Still subject to the dietary rules of Judaism. And so it takes actually God to put this man in a trance in order to bring a vision down to make an adjustment in his life that is actually going to allow him to be able to minister into a Gentile culture. You hearing me? So a voice from God comes and it says, kill and eat. But Peter said, listen to this, this is Peter, by no means, Lord. Like, not going to happen, Lord. Right? For I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Like, it's not going to happen. This is the same Peter who when Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross, and, Jesus, and Peter said, over my dead body. It's not going to happen. Right? And I think sometimes you and I have these moments with the Lord. The Lord is asking us to make adjustments and to step into arenas that we make ourselves available to speak the pure gospel to people. And we say, it's not going to happen, Lord. It's not going to happen. I've never done that. It's not who I am, and I'm not comfortable with it, so it's not going to happen. Again, a voice came to him a second time. Say a second time. What God has cleansed no longer is considered unholy. And this happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So God had to speak to Peter three times, like, dude, kill and eat. Not going to happen, Lord. No, no, no. Like, I wasn't asking you. Like, for reals. You need to kill and eat. Yeah, I heard you the first time, Lord. It's not going to happen. I don't eat that stuff. All right, Peter, come here real quick. We got to go outside and talk because, um, no, you, you don't understand. You need to kill and eat. Because there's something down the road, a door that's going to be open to you to be able to minister the to minister the gospel to where this thing is going to be a hindrance for you to be able to do that. So you need to kill and eat. And so right after this is done, he comes out of his trance, right? Like, jeez, what was that? Have you ever had those moments with God? Like, really? And then you got to sit with that like, what the heck? Like, really? Like, and then, um, while Peter was still greatly perplexed in his mind as to what this vision, um, what the vision which he had seen might be. Behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, right, um, having asked directions for Simon Peter's house, appeared at the gate and calling out. They were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. So you imagine he just comes out of this trance from God and he's like, oh, jeez, what's happening? And then there's cops at your door. Right? Simon Peter! Simon Peter, leave here! Simon. And then you can imagine Peter like, oh, 
Like, <laughs> this isn't going to go well, right? Anyways, in um, verse 9, while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, uh, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgiving, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. There's no pressure with that, right? Yeah, no, an angel told us to come and pick you up because you got a message for us. So he invited them and, and they gave him lodging. So this is, this, is, um, this is pretty wild. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but the, the, I mean, that's, that's when you know that God is asking you to do something that you are absolutely sometimes unwilling to do or it's absolutely against everything you are. It, it, it makes you have to step outside of your comfort zone. It, it challenges your ideologies and the, and, and the views that you've had throughout the past. And now you're confronted with this thing that's standing right in front of you and you have to give a response. You have to choose in that moment, am I going to partner with God in this thing or am I actually going to disobey? Because ultimately, that's, that's, those are the two options. We're going to obey God or we're going to disobey God. I think sometimes we think that the commandments of God are just like really strong suggestions. Right? Like the, I mean, you get a prompting from the, from the Spirit of God to, to share Jesus with the person in line with you in, front of, in, in the market. We actually think there's an option. Right? Or we see someone who's desperate for a touch from God, who, who might be sitting outside of the school before service starts and, and is asking for money. We actually think there's an option. What would it look like if, if we said, hey, silver and gold have I none, which normally I don't. We, we just, I just have a card. Um, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Or you know what? Here, take my hand. Let's walk inside. I want to introduce you to somebody. There's opportunities that the Lord has given us all the time, and we're going to choose to partner with Him or not. And unfortunately, the truth is we're going to choose to obey or disobey, right? We need to understand that these things are, are these encounters that God is putting in front of us, it's not just cosmic chance, right? It's God orchestrating things in the heaven. Peter was over here in Joppa, Cornelius was over here, and angels were provoking him to send for Peter, and God was working on Peter's heart because he knew that adjustments need to be made in order for him to give the message to Cornelius and his family that needed to be given. So we don't know. That person sitting on the, on, on the, on the footsteps of, of the school or anywhere else, we don't know what God has begun to orchestrate for that person on that day. And we don't know, I mean, we do know what God's doing for us, but we, we now have the opportunity to respond. What is that response going to be? But I think we first have to recognize that this is paternally invoked. That paternally means this is, this is the father speaking to kids, saying, let's get this done, right? This is God initiated. God is always wanting you to engage the world around you. He's always wanting you to be the light. He's always wanting you to be the salt. That's Matthew 5. We know this, always. 
Not sometimes, not when you feel like it, always. Because a salt that loses its saltiness is worthless. And a light that's hidden underneath a covering, what use is it? Always, say always, always. right? John four thirty four says this, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes a harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white with harvest. Now, they're always ready. The harvest is ready. Why do we wait for all the stars to align? And all right, Lord, if they say this, then I'll do it. God's already said it. Why do we put these things in for, before God in order for us to actually step into the things that he's called us to do? While in prayer, Cornelius heard from God. While in prayer, the, the adjustments that Peter needed to be made were given to him. And I think that you and I need to understand completely that God has strategies. But his ultimate strategy is the church. See, Jesus came, that was God's A plan. Jesus came and he made a way for all mankind to receive his son and to be put in right relationship with him through Jesus, right? And then Jesus, in turn, gave the church to the world to do the same thing that he did, right? To be all that he was to the world. This is God's strategy. And this isn't a corporate thing that, you know, if, if churches in, in the city isn't doing it, then I, I guess I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't have to do it, right? We talked a bit about this yesterday. Like, just because church in the city is about taking the gospel to the world doesn't necessarily mean that you are about taking the gospel to the world. And we have to come to a conclusion that God wants to use me. There is this, this, this well here that is a corporate wineskin for this church. And I believe this church is positioning itself in every way to do that. Church is being planted in this city, outside of the state, California, Ohio, and beyond. But how are you taking this life-giving water to the world around you? God has strategies, and you're a part of that strategy. And I think it takes us positioning ourselves to do that. We need to be in the face of God, asking God, what is my role to play in this thing? And we can't just be so consumed with, 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 with our lives that we actually are not being on mission for Jesus. I shared a quote yesterday. I'm sorry to regurgitate some of this, but Spurgeon says, any Christian who is not a missionary is an imposter. And I know that's like a really strong thing to say, but really think about it. Someone who has an authentic encounter with Jesus is never the same. And a person who is never the same actually begins to share that Jesus with the world around them. We see that throughout Scripture, and we see it throughout history today. That people who have encounters with Jesus actually begin to affect the world around them for Jesus. God has strategies, and we need to begin to position ourselves in places to be used by God. So how are we doing that? How are, how are you and I positioning ourselves to, to, to be used by God? When you go to work, are, are, are you prayed up and, and ready for God to use you at any moment? When you go to school, are, are, are you ready to be used by God? When you go to those family reunions, 
Are you ready to be used by God? When you're on the, on, on the subway or, or, you know, I was going to say in your car, but that doesn't work really well. Are you ready to be used by God? And I know I'm speaking like these general things, like, God, we know this stuff. Yeah, we know this stuff, but are we doing this stuff? Because if the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us, there has to be a response. When we look at Jesus' life, his life was consumed with the will of the Father. He said, my food is to do his will, which means everything that, 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 that I long for and that I need, my nourishment is to do what he wants me to do. It's my life. And Jesus, in turn, has become that life source for us. What are the things that we need to live as human beings? The sun, right? We need light. Jesus is the light of the world. We need food. I'm the bread of life. Jesus. We need water, right? I am the life-giving water. We need love. Everything that this world needs, everything that we need is found in Jesus. So how is it that we could just hold on to this thing and play it to the chest, right? All you poker players know what I'm saying? I don't play poker. I just seen it on TV. <laughs> play it to the chest. How do we play Jesus to the chest? How, how is Jesus our, our, our greatest secret? I just think about the opportunities that, that I miss. And I know you can probably have countless ones, but I don't want to miss any more opportunities. I don't want to stand in shame remembering the opportunities I miss. And because God is gracious, I don't have to. But there's still things that I can do now to make the adjustments. Peter had to make adjustments. What adjustments need to be made for us this morning? What people group are you not comfortable with speaking with? Is it a skin color? Is it a religious group? Is it one of those, those you know, major sin groups? Right? Not our sin groups. Because, you know, lying, Lord, you know. Is it one of those sin groups? How, what adjustments need to be made? When one of these people step inside the elevator with you, how do you feel? What adjustments need to be made in our lives in order for us to have compassion on a lost life? Because ultimately, that's what this is about. There's only two type of people groups as far as I'm concerned on this earth. Those who are going to heaven and those who are going to hell. I know a lot of people wrestle with that ideology today, but I'm telling you, it is absolutely a truth. Not only from scripture, but it's going to be made known in eternity. It's a reality when this earth ceases that every person who has taken a breath on this earth has an eternity to be spent. And we actually have something, a part to play in that. How are we playing that part? Something Jesus prays in, uh, in John. I, I, I go to it a lot because he's... Um, I mean, my heart, I, I obviously have these leanings. Um, just believe it's how the, how the Lord's wired me. Just as he prays for the lost, and he begins to just cry over 
these people that God, has, his father, has sent him to save. And I just wonder how many of us actually come to a place in our lives that we have so much compassion for the world around us that our lives cease to matter as much as that. Sometimes in our, in our church world, you know, this becomes greater than out there. I, I shared with, with the group yesterday that the Bible doesn't say all heaven rejoices when you show up to church on Sunday. I think we think that. Right? I used to think that. You know, I go to church on Sunday. <sighs> yeah, he made it, right? All heaven doesn't rejoice because we showed up in church on Sunday. You know when all heaven rejoices though? When one comes to repentance. Which means that there's a heavenly value, a greater heavenly value placed on a lost life coming to repentance. Which means the thousands that are out there in God's economy are more important to heaven than what's happening in here. And I don't know if that messes with you. That messes with me. I'm a pastor. I'm consumed with what happens in here. But when I read scripture and he says it's more important of the lives that are out there that actually need to be in here. We need to make an adjustment. I don't need a musician, but I would love to have a musician. Is that okay? There's no doubt in my mind that you and I want to be on mission for Jesus. There's no doubt in my mind that that you're here because you want to be equipped with the tools to be effective in this world today for Jesus. But I I, I really want to encourage you with this thing today because I, I was a guy who sat in church for a really long time doing a whole lot of nothing for a really long time. I had issues. I had issues with God. I had issues with people. I had issues with church people. I had issues with... I had issues. And I allowed those issues to affect my life for years upon years, and it stunted me. It stunted me as a man. It stunted me as a Christian. It stunted me as a son of God. It stunted me as a husband. It stunted me as a, as a, it stunted me because, I mean, it was. But the reason why God gives us his presence is to put all that stuff right so that we can get on with our purpose. And our purpose is to be about our father's business and our father's business is saving lives that's your dad's business that's the legacy you've been given that's the company you've been handed the life saving business not life insurance life saving really that's what we're called to be a part of Jesus paid a price a blood price God sent his son he paid a price so that none should perish God wants what he paid for 
wants what he paid for. And how that thing is collected is when you and I actually go out there and are about our Father's business. How, how are you going to respond today? I know you love Jesus. I know, I know you want to do everything you can for him, but what adjustments need to be made? For Peter, it was a diet. A diet that hindered him from being able to relate to people who ate certain food. Now that sounds crazy superficial. But for you, it might be a skin color. Might be a head wrapping. Might be a lifestyle. How are you going to make that adjustment? I think that God wants to make some of those adjustments this morning. If you need to make an adjustment this morning, everyone just close your eyes this morning. That's okay. I won't embarrass you, ask you to stand, raise your hand, do anything like that, but just the Spirit of the Lord is here. It's the Spirit of God fell in that room and put Peter in a trance to get his attention. I think we need to make some adjustments. What is it, Lord? What adjustments do I need to make? I want to be about your business. I want to be about your business in this city. I want to be about your business with my neighbors. I love that song, Hillsong Road. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours. If you can't look on the city of Chicago and see the brokenness that is rampant in this city, we need to get with God. We need to get with God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I know that there's probably visitors in the room this morning, and I I don't want to... I don't want to leave you out of this, because some of these things I'm talking about, you're kind of like, you know what, man, you've gone to like square 10, 11, and 12, but I'm like a square one. everyone in the room but if if you aren't in right relationship with God according to scripture that means confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead accepting Christ as the savior of your life if you've never done that I would love to give you an opportunity this morning I would love for you to be at peace with God before you leave this room I think eyes are still closing so if if that's you this morning I just want to ask you to raise your hand I want to pray with you before you leave is there anyone like that here this morning it says I want to be in right relationship with God today you can just raise your hand so I can see it I would love to pray with you is there anyone like that here this morning
So this is the last thing I'll ask, and I know this could get really messy. If I can get every one of you to stand, and I would love for you all to just work your way down here, and I would love you to make a circle that somehow, in some way, creates a well-like shape right here in the middle of this area. Some of you can come up here on the stage. That's cool with me. Stephen Debs, don't you guys kind of stay like right here in the middle somewhere? That'd be great. Yeah, just come in. I know this is going to be crazy. Some of you here, come on, come on stage. Yep. Hey, yeah, you can line those chairs too. Make like a circle here. If you need to get in maybe those first couple of rows, that's okay. Look at each other. Make a circle that you guys are all facing each other. Sorry, there you go. There you go, Kevin, just like that. Yeah, just face face each other. And get close, get close. Someone might touch you. Hopefully it's... Here, come in, come on. Come in, come in. If you're not part of this church and, and I'm making you feel uncomfortable, I just want you to know that this church has a value of family. And and this is this is a bit of a picture of that. Just prophetically, as I said early, when I seen I seen this this being a, a well for people to come and get give life giving water. And this this corporate wineskin, this is the capacity that church in the city has corporately together. And as you can tell, this space, the, the amount of life and, and life giving water that 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 is is collectively available not only for for you but for the city i mean it, it, the, the capacity that can be held here is amazing but this what we know about the life-giving water of jesus is that it never runs dry right and so you guys can bring your wine skin you can fill your wine skins here and then you're able to take it to the city and guess what when you come back this thing's still going to be full so you can come and you can feel it again and then you get to take it out to the city and pour it out and then come back here again. Because that's what, that's what church is. That's, that's what this beautiful thing that Jesus established. The only movement that you and I should be concerned with is the church. This is the greatest movement that God has ever put in motion on the earth was his church to be the light of the world, to present Jesus to the world in a way that's untainted, that's pure, that he loves them and that he died for them. And if they can accept that and believe in their heart, that they get to be a part of this family free of charge. Who needs to be a part of this family in your life? Who needs to be a part of this family in your sphere of influence, your workplace? Steve and Debs and the eldership team, they don't have the connections you have. They can't reach your boss. They probably don't know your boss. They don't know your cousins and your neighbors. This is is what church is. We are the church. Church isn't a building. It's not not an institution. It's, It's the family of God. And the local expression of church in this corner of the world is church in the city. Yes, there's thousands of other churches in Chicago. But this family like every other family has its own DNA has its own pigment and it, it's it's beautiful because it's a rainbow in this room right who else gets to be added to this family I would love for you to just close your eyes
And if you can just see this room populated with those bodies and with those faces. If you could see your Muslim neighbors standing next to you, raising their arms to Jesus. If you can see the drug addicts who are slanging that stuff on the corner in here sleeves rolled up tattoos exposed crying to Jesus if you can see those walking in alternative lifestyles coming into these rooms coming to the knowledge of Jesus We've been asked to reach those corporate CEOs. I'm telling you, this doesn't end here. Who belongs to this family that's not here today? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. And it's not just to get goosebumps and to feel good on a Sunday morning. It's actually to take this life-giving water to the world around you. Stephen Debs and, and the eldership team, I absolutely believe that the positioning that has been taking place for 12 years, not nine months, not two years, 12 years, the positioning that Church in the City has, has made in order to partner with God is actually going to bring forth, forth a fruitful season like you've never seen before. There's, gonna, there's something inside of the spiritual DNA of this church that is actually going to affect this region in a way that is so intimate that people are, 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 are going to be overwhelmed with the sense of family that is felt by such a large collective group. And we fight for family and people think that family means small. It's not, it's not the family. It's an atmosphere. Love that Jesus came to shed on his future believers that would be spread. You will be known by your love. And I'm telling you, church in the city is going to have that reputation far beyond your belief. And I'm saying that as a reminder to this eldership team because I know how you toil. But I want you guys to understand that that has to be the spiritual DNA of this church. Do we share, we share spiritual DNA? And I know I'm prolonging this, but do we believe it enough to say, yes, Lord, I want to partner with what you're doing in this region, which will affect this local family? Why don't you grab someone's hand next to you? How many of you know the Lord loves unity? Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It just means that I can love you enough to look past everything. Everything. Right? The righteous are not easily offended. I can look past everything. 
we do it for our family, right? Family members offend you, you still show up to the family reunion. That's going to be church in the city. You guys are going to love each other so strong that people are going to flock into this place because they want a piece of what you got. And that's Jesus. Lord, thank you for church in the city. Thank you for the family. Thank you for the love that's been shared. Lord, thank you for the hard work that's been done. Thank you for the cultivation of this soil. Lord, this the soil that you're, you're cultivating to, to bring forth fruit. Lord, I pray that every person in, 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 in this room that's able to hear me and all the family members who aren't in this place, I pray that spiritually they're able to, to grab a hold of this, that you're asking every one of us to pick up a shovel. Begin to cultivate a larger plot of land because the harvest is ready and the workers are few. And it's not your will that one should perish. Jesus, we want to partner with you. Let us make the adjustments and let us get on with what you've called us to. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And God's kids, can we say amen? Amen. All right, can we give Jesus praise today? So listen, I'm from East L.A. I'm not in the habit of creating kumbaya moments. (laughs) Listen, really, this is meaningless if it's just like, oh, that was sweet, that was cool. And then you go home and nothing happens. The hard work starts two minutes from now. The response starts two minutes from now. I give you two minutes to get out the door. (laughs) I mean, that's when it starts. The first person you meet first co-worker you see tomorrow morning that family member the Lord's been asking you to call call amen, amen. love you guys thanks for having us appreciate it yeah. why don't we just take a moment just to thank Jody properly if we can Jody thank you so much outstanding outstanding time